What is up, After Ellen listeners? It's your girl, Gabby, here. We have a treat for you today. Absolute lesbian icon with us. It's Gina (laughs) Yashere. Yay! Hey, Gabby. Hey, hey. Happy Pride Month, by the way. Happy Pride Month to you. Why, thank you. Thank you. Um, So, how's your quarantine been? I think you've been um, much more productive than I have, having written this book during quarantine. Yeah, I've been super productive. Um, You know, we... At my TV show, we worked all the way through the pandemic. So we, yeah, we wrote the scripts and shot 18 episodes of our show right through the pandemic. I mean, obviously we had all new protocols in place, Mm -hmm. daily testing, masks, screens. We had to wear the whole shebang. You know, we looked like, you know, we were just a little bit short of wearing full hazmat suits. But we did it. We shot 18 episodes of our show and did not get shut down. And uh, yeah, we so I've been working, and then in the, and through all of that, I also wrote a book in my spare time. So yeah, just, I've been very just let me just write a book in my spare time. No big deal. Well, I'm what so- it was, I, I got the book deal a year before. I got the book deal before, but I'm a hardcore procrastinator, and I had done nothing. And originally, I was like, you know what? I'm uh, with this TV show. I'm not going to have time to write this book. So let me maybe get a ghostwriter. And I interviewed somebody and we started work and I didn't like what she was writing. And I was like, yeah. So I got rid and basically started again from scratch. And I was like, well, and this happened before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, well, that's the universe telling me I need to write this book by myself. So right. that's what I did. And I, yeah, and I'm glad I did because it's just my voice, my perspective. It's just, yeah, I'm happy I did it. And I, I proved to myself I could write a book. I didn't think I could write a book. And uh, I did. You did it. I love that journey for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what inspired you to write this book? <clears throat> it's so funny. Um, how it came about on the social medias, on Instagram and stuff, you have, you know, the hashtag Throwback Thursday or Flashback Friday. Mm-hmm. And what I started doing was um, posting old pictures of myself and then telling an elaborate story behind the picture. Uh, and um, I was getting lots of comments, people saying, oh, my God, we didn't know this about you. This is amazing. This is fantastic. You should write a book. You should write a book. So many people saying, you should write a book. So I thought, hmm, maybe, maybe I could write a book. So I started saving all of these throwback posts in a little folder on my phone. Never really thought anything of it. I just was saving them. I was like, well, maybe one day in the future, if I do write a book, that I'll have all these throwbacks and these, these stories that I've written. And this is how the universe works. At that same time, uh, I was approached by a literary agent, a lit agent who said, uh, I'm a big fan of yours. Love your comedy. He he worked with Michelle Buteau on her book. And so she was she emailed me and said, Hey, my lit agent loves you, he's a big fan of you. He'd love to meet you to talk about writing a book. So I met up with him and he was like, Yeah, love your comedy and love your throwback Thursdays. That is already the skeleton of a book you've got there. So how about you write a book? And I was like, are you paying me? Oh, okay, then let's do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm glad I did. It was very cathartic. I really brought out a lot of stuff that I've been holding on since childhood and since my youth. 
that I didn't know I was holding on to. So it was very cathartic writing it. I mean, it's a funny book, but it's also quite serious, talking about some of the stuff I came up with, the racism as a kid, mm-hmm. the racism as when I worked as an engineer, the racism in the comedy industry, but also there are some funny stories in, interspersed with that. So it's not all doom and gloom and depression. Because I'm a comedian. Right. I'm, I'm a comedian. I do want to make you laugh as well. So even when I'm telling the most crazy, awful stories, I do add, inject a little bit of humour into it. So it's just not all ugh. When you were writing this book, I would imagine, um, you know, I've watched a lot of your stand-up in the past couple of days, and you do talk about your mom a lot yes, in these stand-up I do. Um, shows. It, was she like an inspiration when writing this book? Absolutely. Um, you know, I got my work ethic from her, my desire to succeed, my uh, my unwillingness to take no for an answer and, and try and circumvent all the uh, obstacles that are put in my way and, and, and sidestep them and, and build my own way. So that all came from my mum. So this book is kind of an ode to her. You know, as a kid, I didn't enjoy her mothering. She was crazy overprotective. Wouldn't let us go anywhere. Wouldn't let us do anything. Wouldn't let us go on school trips. Wouldn't let us have friends over. Uh, Made us study all the time. She was crazy. So as a child, I did not enjoy it. But looking back, I see that it was out of love and out of her will, you know, need for us to do well in life. So I get it now. But at the time, hated it. (laughs) Right. No, I completely understand. I'm a child of immigrants too. So like, it's all so relatable. Yeah, Did you think yeah. it was going to be so relatable? Yeah, because from years of doing stand-up and talking yeah. about my upbringing and having different people from all walks of life, you know, Jewish people, African people, Chinese people, all come up to me and go, oh, my God, your mother is my mother. So I kind of yeah. knew how relatable it was. So I knew that the stories I'm telling, people will really latch onto it and go, yeah, we, we understand those experiences. The fact that you're, a Niger- that you're born of a Nigerian immigrant is no different to an Indian immigrant, a Pakistani immigrant, Russian immigrant, Italian, similar, very similar stories. Right. Isn't it crazy how, despite how far away we all are, we still have all of these things in common. And so it's much. usually like how our moms are. Exactly. So much in common. Yeah, and so that's the joy of writing this book. So you you read it and go, oh, shit, yeah, I I went through that too. <laughs> I heard that a lot of um, your mom's proverbs were put in these books. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite one? Oh, there are so many. My mom used to speak in proverbs. She'd use it to illustrate any point she was trying to make. And even if she didn't right. have a point, she managed to stick a, a proverb in there. And there's quite a few in there. There uh one of my favorites is if you go to bed with an itchy anus, you will wake up with your hand smelling. And it's a very funny and true. And basically it's saying, you know, whatever is you're trying to hide, it will always come out, you know, and that's mm-hmm. basically what it is. It will always come out. You can't, you know, and, and th- that saying is definitely one of my favorites because it's funny and it's very, very deep when you think about it. Right. Now, my mom's was just like, um, I used to have a really bad acne problem as a teenager. And she was just like, how do you face a problem when the problem is your face? <laughs> <laughs> that is not helpful, mom. That is not helpful. Like, that's me. not helpful. That's not helpful. But, but then, like, you know, the next day she'll be like, you know, you're the captain of your own ship, but you need to respect the ocean. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, so my mom... And, like, I, I understand... Um, it's an it's yeah. thing, man. 
I understand like also having these expectations that your parents put on you, Mm -hmm. especially as a child of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, My career options were nurse or nurse. (laughs) So you can imagine when I didn't turn out as either of those. Yeah. Um, So what was a big, a bigger shock for your mom coming out or telling her that you were leaving engineering to become a comedian? Definitely the leaving engineering uh, mm. because obviously I'd studied for it. I got all my qualifications. I was working as an engineer. And as far as she was concerned, she was like, oh, good. My job is done with this one. Let me concentrate on the other, you know, three kids that come after her. So, yeah, she thought her job was done. And and then for me to turn around and go, actually, uh, this engineering thing, uh, I want to go and be a comedian. And she was like, what? So you're leaving engineering to become a clown. Like she just didn't understand the concept of leaving a good job to go and just talk shit and make people laugh. She just didn't get it. She just didn't get it at all. Uh, How I assigned her her misgivings was basically, I just went, look, you know, I'm qualified as an engineer. I can go back to engineering any time I want. I'm just taking a little bit of time off to just explore these artistic tendencies that I have. But I'll always be an engineer and I can always go back to it. And that was my way of just quieting down her feet, her, you know, her misgivings about the whole situation. And obviously I never went back. That was 26 years ago. <laughs> but now I've been on television. So all my stuff has been validated. I got on TV within six months of starting comedy. And I was on a show with a very famous talk show host in England called Jonathan Ross. And she was a big fan of Jonathan Ross. So once I was on the show with Jonathan Ross, she's like, oh, yes, my daughter was on TV with Jonathan Ross. I always knew she was going to be a clown. I knew it from when she was in the womb. So, yeah, my, all, my, all that stuff is validated and she's been super supportive ever since. <laughs> I mean, living the dream, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Just um, I'm speaking of TV. Congratulations on a uh, third season of Bob Hart's Abishola. Thank you. Thank you. Can you give us a few spoilers, just a little bit of spoilers for the next season? Well, I have no spoilers because we never know what's going to happen. We never write the stuff way in advance. We let the wow. story guide us. So when we sit down to write the script or to work the outline for the script. We don't know what's going to happen. We just start talking through it and going, well, what would happen? She, you know, so as you know, at the end of season two, that Dele's in Nigeria, his dad's trying to keep him there. So, you know, the end of season two is them all getting on a plane to go to Nigeria to get her son. So obviously they're going to end, the the season two is going to start in Nigeria where she's going to confront her ex-husband. But that's all we know. I don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. Once we get in the room, we start working on it again in two weeks. Once we get in the room, then we'll start working through the story. But I do not know. I've got no spoilers for you. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Wow. Uh, So we'll have to just like wait for it to come out then. You have to wait. That must be like, um, because when you're writing stand-up, are you generally writing it by yourself? Yes. And then you you transition into writing TV where you have this whole team of writers. How how was that changed? Well, originally when we wrote the pilot, it was just me, Chuck, Al Higgins and Eddie Gordetsky, who are two of Chuck's uh, frequent collaborators and exec producers. So when we wrote the pilot, the very first episode of the show, it was just us four in a room. And, uh, you know, I created all the characters because a lot of the characters are based on, on members of my family. Abishola, to some extent, is based on my own mother. So, yeah, I created a lot of the characters. I was like, OK, this is what the characters are going to do. This is what they're going to be like. We're going to keep it. I want this show to be authentic. I want Nigerians to watch it and go, 
oh yeah, that is us. You know, when you, in the past when we watched Africans on TV, the accents are wrong, everything's wrong, the clothing's wrong. It's like America just sees Africa as a country and not a continent with different languages and different traditions and different, you know, religions and different everything. So when I came on board for this project, I was like, all right, we're going to make this authentic. I'm going to pick the tribe and we're going to be as authentic as fuck. Uh, so yeah, I created all the characters. I, you know, I made sure the language was, was correct, the way the app was correct. The, you know, even little things like I said, you know, I, when I watch American TV shows and kids just walk into the kitchen and open the fridge and just pick a, a large bottle of orange juice and just put their mouth on it and start drinking. That would never happen in an African family, you know, where they come in and they, they just put their shoes on the couch. That is not happening in an African family. That is white nonsense yeah, right there. Exactly. So I said, these are the things that will not be happening in our show. Uh, you know, uh, the, the child will show his parents respect. It's always auntie and uncle. You never call adults by their first name. All this kind of stuff that they didn't know. I remember when we, we, we shot the pilot, uh, the head of Warner Brothers at the time was like, oh, my God, there was a scene where Dele was cooking his mum breakfast in the morning before she went to work. I have never seen this before. It's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, in an African family, if the parents are going out to work, then, yeah, part of the kids' chores is to, to cook. And, yeah, so if he's up, he's cooking his mum breakfast before she goes to do a shift. And they'd never seen that before because it was always the mum in the kitchen cooking breakfast, the kids and kids going, I don't want that. I want Cheerios this morning, you know. So they stuff like right. that they'd never seen. And I just wanted to bring an aspect of African life that has never been seen on television before. And I think we succeeded quite well. And even, you know, CBS is a very middle-aged white network it caters to a middle-aged white audience right across america and the fact that these people have grown to love these characters and see commonality you know and see it's just a beautiful thing you know right and uh, you mentioned those details and i often find myself focusing on those details when i watch shows yes and it's something something as simple as like Oh, she's making rice, but she didn't wash the rice. And I, suddenly that's all I can focus on. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So yeah. I am focused on all of those things. I'm like, you know, I'll stop and go, no, we, we wouldn't do that. Or, you know, in Nigerian culture, eating food with the left hand is a no-no because mm-hmm. the left hand is the right. hand that's used to wipe the rice. So uh, Travis, the young actor who plays Dele, I believe he's left-handed. And there was a scene where he was eating. His, and I had to stop the whole scene. I was like, uh-uh. Uh, my mum would have beat my ass if I was eating at the dinner table with my left hand. I know he's left-handed, but we're going to have to switch to the right hand for this scene. So things like that. I mean, I, I also do a little bit of a subversion of that. Like, I am left-handed. So mm-hmm. Kemi, my character, is often eating with her left hand uh, in the ca- in the cafeteria. But she's a grown-up now, so she's she can rebel against that. But Dele, the kid has to eat with his right hand because his parents wouldn't have it. So little things like that that nobody would notice. I am on it. <laughs> but people do notice. People from that culture oh, yeah. notice. I do. And they're like, wow, this is... Before eating with his left hand at the dinner table. This is... Right, this is... Yeah, this is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute atrocity. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Speaking of being left-handed, doesn't the the title of your book, doesn't that mean also left-handed? Yes, yeah, so cat-handed uh, is an old British term that means left-handed. It also means awkward and clumsy because left-handed people are perceived as awkward and clumsy, which I it's not true. We are in a right-handed world. If I'm next to you at a bar and I'm talking and I'm gesticulating with my left hand, 
I'm more than likely to knock over your drink because you're right-handed, you're next to me, you put your drink on your right hand, which is on my left hand, which is my more dominant side. So Mm -hmm. this is how we've got the horrible reputation of being awkward and clumsy, which I don't believe we are. I just think we are being discriminated against in this 90% or whatever it is, right-handed world. Uh, So there's And also the title CAC is another word for shit. Uh, mm. So cat-handed, because the left hand in many cultures, Middle Eastern, African cultures, uh, the left hand is the hand that's used to wipe your bum when you do a shit. Hence, cat-handed. So there's so many meanings. But also, it also encompasses the journey that my life and career has taken. It's never been straightforward. It's been, you know, unconventional. It's never been a straight line. I've had to circumvent obstacles. and So that's what the title means. It's just, you know, it encompasses all the awkwardness, all the... Yeah, all the diversions I've had to take to, in order to get where I am. But like reclaiming that and being like, you know what? Yeah. It worked out for me. Yeah. You know? I'm left-handed. I am different and I am relishing my difference. Right. And in doing that, look, all these other people relate yeah. to you yeah. and be like, hey, you know, it, this is, it's not just me. There are other people like me out there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... Like you said, your career took all these twists and turns. And what made you take that jump from engineering to comedy? What made you just say, you know what, I'm going to do it well, no matter what <clears throat> happens? Um, you know, I loved engineering. I loved the job. I loved what I was doing. I loved learning. I loved working with my hands. I loved being outside. I didn't want to be in an office. I loved the job. But my last job uh, suffered horrendous racism. I worked on a I was building and and repairing elevators and I came in more qualified than all the white men that I was working with. So I came in at a higher grade. So there was a lot of resentment and, you know, on a building site, there's no HR. There's no one to tell you Oh, what you're saying there is just, I literally had people call me the N word in my face. Uh, I had racists telling me that they would never allow black people to live near them because they're animals. And they think I had all of that kind of stuff said to me in my face on a daily basis daily basis for like four years uh it got to a point where i i pulled aside the the biggest culprit and i had to threaten him physically i was like listen if you call me nigger one more time i've got two brothers and i will send those two two niggers right around your house i know where you live and they will beat the fuck out of you and i had to do that around and find out yeah i had to do that and he never spoke to me again which was fine by me so I put up with that for a long time. And then I was the first female engineer that Otis in the UK had ever had in their 100-year history. So I looked good on all the brochures, but they didn't know what to do with me. And, you know, when I was was completing all the training milestones that I was supposed to get to get certain promotions, and when it came to get those promotions, they they were like, I don't think the guys would take orders from you, so sorry. Can't give you that promotion, even though I'd done everything that I'm supposed to get to get. So it got to a point where uh, I tried to take them to a grievance hearing. Mm-hmm. And now I've been paying into the union for four years, every, diligently. My union rep refused to represent me. He's like, ah, what? I don't know about this women's stuff, so can't help you. And so I had the to, audacity. Yeah, so I had to go to this grievance hearing with the top brass of the company by myself, unrepresented by my union. Obviously, me, young black girl, 22 years old, getting into a room with these old white men, the old guard of this company, 
obviously I was overruled and I lost that hearing and they were like, sorry, we don't see we're doing anything wrong. Fuck off back to work. So after that, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this job. I, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. So, you know, the building industry went for a little bit of a slump in the mid-90s. They were making people redundant. They would never have laid me off because I was their poster girl. But I, walked, I just stormed into my manager's office and I was like, lay me off. I want to leave. Uh, unless you want, wow. you want me to go public about the racism and mis- misogyny in this company, just give me my money and let me go. So they gave me my money and let me go. And it was in that time that I was like, I'm going to take a break from engineering. I'm just going to have fun. It was in the middle of summer. I said, like, I'm going to have fun. I'm just going to do things that I've always wanted to do, you know. And as a kid, people always told me that I was entertained. I was the class clown. I was the archetype. And, and I remember a drama teacher saying to my mum at a parent-teacher conference, you know, um, your, your, your daughter's very, she, she should be an entertainer or an actor or something. And my mom sort of looked at her and went, yeah, she can act like a doctor when she <laughs> becomes a doctor. And that was the end of the conversation. But it always stuck with me that I had this kind of urge to entertain people. So that I sort of fell into the comedy and I, I, I did background acting on a play and, and I just enjoyed that. And so, and that's how I got into it. It was in, it was in that interim where I was, going, well, I was like, I'm going to enjoy the summer and then do all the things I want to do and then go back to engineering in the winter. But I fell into the comedy and just ended up never going back to engineering. Wow. That's crazy. Do you have any advice for, you know, us immigrant kids who are still trying to balance our parents' expectations and wanting to do what we want to do? As far as I know, you only get one life. So you cannot live your life for other people. You know, you can't live your life for other people. You have to follow what you want to do. Uh, You have to follow the dream. But if you're going to follow the dream, be prepared for multiple failures. You have to love what you're doing. Don't get into it for fame or for money you have to love what you do and relish the journey because it may be a long journey. It's been a long journey for me. I've been doing this 26 years, you know, and I've only just kind of hit it where I've got the show. I've got 26 years hustling, hustling. So, but I love what I do and uh, yeah, enjoy the journey. Do not compare yourself to others. I spent many years, I wasted many years, comparing myself to other people going how did they get that I'm better than them why did they get that and that bitterness and that negativity held me back and then it got to a point a few years ago where I was like you know what let me just enjoy the journey let me just you know I'm doing something for a living that I love doing I'm making a good living it's not like I'm suffering I'm doing pretty well let me just concentrate on my journey and enjoy the journey and enjoy what I'm doing and when I started doing that everything changed. It's like the universe opened up. The negativity fell away and I opened myself up to abundance and all this good stuff started to happen almost immediately. The laws of attraction, they they really do, they really do work. You just manifested all of that. Yeah. I was like, stop being negative. Stop looking at other people. Stop comparing yourself. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy what you're doing. And uh, I did. I began to enjoy it more and And I, I, you know, I still get hit with it from time to time. I'll be on the Instagram and go, oh, she's at that party with P. Diddy. I'd love to be at that party with P. Diddy. And then I have to stop myself and go, hey, you're doing great. You've got a show that you love. You've got a job that you love. You're making great money. Your life is good. 
stop fucking looking at other people. I have to tell myself every once in a while and tell myself to shut up. Right. I think it's it's definitely difficult, especially when you get like, you go to the family function, you're like, oh, you're still doing that? Well, your cousin such and such is a doctor already. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I had that. But I tell you what, cousin such and such might not have wanted to be a doctor, might have had dreams of being an author, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. just let those dreams go to follow family, traditional family expectations and may not be happy doing what they do. You are following, and it's all about your own personal peace and happiness. And and so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, it's just uh, when I told everyone, I'm going to major in English and literature. And they're like, for what? You already speak English. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's not nice. (laughs) But, you know, and it wasn't very difficult to, you know, because there's no support coming in because they don't obviously don't support what I'm no, doing. They don't but I'm just it. like, but when you I can't a live for you. Journalist, author, oh, they be like, oh yes, I always knew when she wanted to do English. I always knew that she would be so good at this English. You know, right? Just like start sending copies of my books to everybody. Yeah. You guys, look at this. Exactly. <laughs> just like mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. My mom is exactly just pulling that. receipts. Where were you when I was struggling? Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's, that's amazing. Like you've this whole journey, 26 years of work and now everything is falling to place and you're literally living the lesbian dream (laughs) right now. I am like my, as a a lesbian child of immigrants, who's half black and half Asian, this like you're living the dream, (laughs) doing what you love. You got a book coming out, living with your wife in a nice house that's the dream congratulations on all of that listen i'm envious of you i i wasted a lot of time hiding who i was took me a long time Uh to come to terms with who i was uh you know i was in this industry and i'm like i'm in this industry i'm a black immigrant woman i don't look a certain way i'm not fitting that you know hollywood ideal of beauty I'm not going to give them the gay thing, another thing to box me in with. So for a long time, mm-hmm. I, when those questions were were posed, I circumvented them like a champ. Like I never right. lied about my sexuality. I just avoided talking about it for a very long, even right. in my stand-up. And uh, for a long time, it, 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 at first it helped me because it made me think outside the box when it came to material because I couldn't be doing the relationship stuff that the other female comics were doing because I was like, mm-hmm. I'd have to lie. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd have to lie. So I avoided, avoided stuff. Uh, and uh, so I, but then it eventually after years in the business, it started to constrict me because then I couldn't be completely open with on stage and couldn't be completely free. And uh, and so I didn't come out until after I moved to America and I was on tour with a young comedian called Shantae Wayans. She's from the Wayans dynasty, young lesbian comic. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing her on stage being unapologetically herself and gay and doing really funny material about it. And I envied her. Right. And, right. I, and I was like, you know what? I, I want to do that. I want to be completely free with who I am. Take me or leave me. So, yeah, after that, I started just throwing in little sprinkles of, uh, you know, hints to my gayness and then just wrote more stuff. And then I just I didn't have a big coming out thing. I didn't make a big deal of it. I just slipped it into my set. And before I knew it, I'm completely out and nobody cared. And that was great because, I, you know, when I started out in England, you know, there was always the, you know, black audiences, very homophobic. You know, you can't talk about that stuff. You'll lose your core mm-hmm. audience. And there was all that stuff. But I, I got to a point where I was, I was like, look, I've built up my skill set. People know I'm funny. People love my comedy. 
And if they're going to stop loving my comedy because of who I love, then I don't want them in my shows anyway. But yeah, it barely changed. I may have lost a few, but I gained gained a lot more when I did come out. And uh, so, yeah. And so I envy all you youngsters who are so free and open and you can talk about this stuff. I was like, oh, I wish I'd had that when I was younger. I wish in my 20s. I could have been that open and it would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of wasted time. I didn't think I really uh, had much of a choice. I was four years old telling my cousin, talking about, I'm going to marry the pink power ranger. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I came out at 24. She's like, yeah, you told me when you were like four. I mean, I was a tomboy. I was always a tomboy. So my mom was like, oh, she's a tomboy. She'll grow out of it. So it was tomboy, tomboy, tomboy. But when you get to like 24 years old and you're still a tomboy, you're like, okay. (laughs) Hang on a minute. Is she uh, familiar with the works of (laughs) Sappho? Did you ever feel like even now that you have to hide or are you just like, you know what? No, no. Uh, now I'm, I'm just like, that's... you know, look, if I've done shows where I'm at very Christian churches in the past, so I, I, I haven't hidden it. I've just mm-hmm. gone, you know what? I'm going to read the audience, read the room. Mm-hmm. And I'll just do other material. But sometimes I've got into super conservative areas where they are super Christian and conservative. And I've gone, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just be myself. I'm just going to say what I say. Uh, I'll, I'll get them to the point where they're laughing and loving me. And then I'll just drop it uh-huh. in there. And I've had people come up to be after the shows and go, yeah, I've, uh, I never really liked gay people before, but, you know, you're cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So <laughs> it opens, you know, <coughs> it kind of opens up their mindset, even though what they're saying is hugely problematic, because I'll say to them, swap out the word gay with black and see how you sound. <laughs> Right, yeah. What you're saying is very problematic, but I see where what you're trying to do. That you're saying that I've mm-hmm. opened up your mind a little bit and you're, you know, so that's what I, I, I do. But, yeah, I, I don't hide who I am. I look, just look at me. You can tell that I'm not the average person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, with this haircut, if you still think I'm straight, that's your personal problem. <laughs> like, I have these two ladies here in the back. Like, it's, I'm not... <laughs> I don't want to hide it anymore. Yeah. I've done that enough. Um, wow, that's that's the power of lesbianism yeah. for you, changing people's minds. Change. I mean, my comedy. mother, who is a hardcore Nigerian Christian, you know, right. she was the one that I was like, this is going to be a problem when I come out to it. You know, it may be, she may even disown me. And I just came out to her suddenly. I did it very suddenly. She just kept going on about, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have children? And I was like, I'm not getting married to a dude, Mom, I'm a lesbian. And she just oh. dropped it like that. I was like, you know, and she went silent for a bit. And she's like, I don't understand this. Les- there are no lesbians in Nigeria. And I'm like, mom, you ain't been back for 40 years. Trust me, there are. And, uh, you know, she didn't say much to me. She went and complained to my brother about it later. So she didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it for a very long time. But she knew who my girlfriends were. But she was like, oh, it's your friend. I, I see you're bringing your friend. She never just gals yeah, being she, pals. She never said girlfriend. She always said, "Oh, your friend." Um, but you know, she loves my Mrs. Nina. You know, when when Nina mm-hmm. met her, Nina did the whole googled how to properly greet a Nigerian woman and knelt before my mum's feet, and my mum fell in love with her instantly. Wow. So, you know, my mum is always like, "How is Nina? How is Nina? 
how is Nina? So my mum loves Nina. And 15 years ago, I would never have thought that that would be the case, that my mum would accept my partner. She don't want to talk about it publicly. Okay, you don't have to make it so public. Please don't tell everybody in Nigeria about this gay now. Just, can you just keep it a little bit quiet? But she loves Nina. She, you know, Nina comes by, Nina hugs her, my mum hugs her back. You know, it's like, what? So you just never know how open people are going to be until you let them be themselves. Let them, you know, don't prejudge what they're going to be like. You just don't know how they're going to react. That's, yeah, that's great advice. For anybody, any lesbians out there listening, that's great advice. Take note. I mean, you may lose a parent and if they're willing to, to cut you off because of who you love, then that is their problem and not yours. Mm, that's so true. And, and they that's are so only true. hurting themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, thank you so much for telling us your story yeah. and giving us all this amazing advice. Um, so just like to recap that Cat Handed comes out on June 8th in the U.S. and July 8th in the U.K. and overseas, Yes, correct? indeed. Go get my book, awesome, people. Awesome, There's, I've already got Bob part Bob. two in my brain. I'm ready to write the next one. Go, let's go, part two. Come on. Uh, you can also catch her on uh, the Nickelodeon show The Barbarian and the Troll as the voice of the oh, act. Yes. Um, yes, yes. When does that oh, come it's out? Been out. It, started, it started airing in April, and it's a really funny show. It's one of those shows that's great for kids, but there's also some good adult humor in there, so you can watch it. I, I, oh, I, yeah, I watch it and laugh my ass off by myself, and I have no child to watch it with. It's just me and the pup. But, um, you know, uh, it's a really it's a really funny show. You should definitely give it a, a look. Love those kinds of shows yeah. here. Is there any other project you'd like to give a shout-out yeah, to? Just make sure you keep watching Bob Hart's Abishola so we can still run for several more seasons because we are bringing immigrants to TV in a good light, in a funny light, in an authentic way. Uh, so, yeah, keep watching the show or start watching the show if you haven't because people just go, oh, CBS is going to be... Watch the show. You will be surprised at how much we're getting away with on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, if you are a child of immigrants, doesn't matter where your parents came from, you are going to find something relatable on yes, this show. Yes, indeed. So keep watching that. Please buy the book. I'm hoping to make the book into a movie or uh, a limited series at some point later on. And just follow me on the Insta, at Jeannie Asheray, Facebook, Jeannie Asheray, Twitter, Jeannie And go to my website, JeannieAsheray.com, so that whenever I'm doing live shows, because I'm still doing my stand-up, Come out and hang out with me live. So just go join my mailing list on my website, Jeannie Ashway. You heard her, people. You heard her. Get it done. Get it it done, done. people. All right. That's it for us. Be sure to like and subscribe. Bye. Bye.